shepherds, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. That's a travesty. You go over to Hebrews chapter 5. In verses 11 through 14, let me give you the summary statement here. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. I can't teach you what I need to teach you right now because you haven't matured enough yet. In fact, he says there in Hebrews 5, 12, at this point, considering all that you've been through, considering how much time has lapsed, you ought to be teachers. And yet, because you're still little babies, because you're still so immature, Instead of being teachers, you still have people that need to teach you. You see, the Lord says these things to our shame. The Lord says these things to our shame. You should have grown. You'd have gotten, gotten out of some of those old habits by now. Grown past them. Moved to a new place by now. Now, bear in mind, physical age isn't the most important thing here. Because you could be 80 years old and still spiritually immature. You could also be pretty young and be a little bit more mature than others. Knowing the Lord, knowing who He is, knowing what He expects, knowing what He calls you to, it's not about our, our physical age, it's not about calendars, it's about our connection to, and faith in, and trust in, and obedience to Jesus Christ. One of the reasons, we've been talking about this series of lessons from 1 Corinthians, we've been talking about having unity in a world of division. One of the reasons there's such widespread division right now is because there's such an inexcusable prevalence of immaturity. People are so, and I, when I say people, I mean me. I'm not just looking down at others. I'm saying we. We're so immature in so many ways. We're so quick to be angry, so quick to fight, so quick to get hurt. We're so immature. And so there remains such division, such hostility such rancor, such animosity, all of these things because of the inexcusable prevalence of immaturity. So what we're going to do today with our time together right now is we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and chapter 3. We're going to see what Paul says to this group of Christians in Corinth where he's calling them to something greater. He's calling them to stop being so immature. And we're going to look at this text and see the ways that you and I can be more mature also. Because one of the things that demonstrates maturity is when we move from one place to the next as it were if you just think about the world in general you think about you know getting a job and getting a place to live and those kinds of things maybe you even think it this way one way you demonstrate your maturity is in the way that you talk your speech changes you go from speaking like a child you go from talking about things that are immature to moving to a place where you're much more mature paul said something like this first corinthians chapter 13 verse 11 when I was a child, I spoke like a child and I thought like a child. I even reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up those childish ways. Here's where I want us to start. One of the key aspects of recognizing maturity is knowing who you are. Knowing the areas in your life that you're strong, where your strengths might be. But also a sign of maturity is knowing those parts of your life, those areas of your life that are weak where there's openings, where there's an emptiness, the things that need to be filled up. If I can honestly step back and evaluate myself and see where my strengths are and see where my weaknesses are and then start working on the weaknesses, that's a sign of maturity. Knowing who I am, knowing where I'm going, knowing what needs to change. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, we're to examine ourselves and see whether or not we're in the faith. We're to test ourselves. 
So we're going to use our text here, 1 Corinthians, to help us examine ourselves and see if by the Lord's standards, see if we are mature or immature. Because this is one of those things that if you're just sort of questioned on the street, are you mature or immature? Most of us will probably say, well, yeah, I'm absolutely mature. But then the question is, according to the Lord's standards, are you mature or immature? That's the real question. So here's where we start. If we're going to really know ourselves, one of the things that we're going to have to do is stop being selfish. Can I be the kind of person who can look at others first? Can I be the kind of person that looks to and thinks about the needs of others before my own? Because the, the mature person is not self-absorbed. The mature person is not selfish. You know, it's the baby who identifies every single thing they see as mine. Right? Mine. That's the baby. The one who grows and grows and grows can say, I see the needs you have and I help to fill them, not take from you to give to me. Here's what he says. Look at 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2. Verse 1. When I came to you, brother, so when I came into your presence there in Corinth, I didn't come to you proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul was going to use methods, righteous methods, God divinely approved methods, but he was going to use the methods that would be the most effective. Here's what he says over in in chapter 9, verse 22. 1 Corinthians 9, 22. I become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. Paul was going to speak in a language they could understand. He said, I'm not going to come before you using terminology you can't grasp. I'm not going to talk about things that make no sense to you. He says, I'm going to come in and I'm going to share this with you. The gospel of Christ. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I don't want you to be impressed with me. I want you to be impressed with the Lord. He's going to connect with, with them, with their ideas and their activities and the things that mattered to them. And so when it comes to being mature enough to be aware of the people around me, I need to ask myself at least these two questions. Because this is what Paul was driving at when he said I was going to become all things to all people so I could just save some, at least find save some. Here's the question you ask. We're testing ourselves, examining ourselves, seeing if we are mature the way Christ would have us to be. Ask yourself, am I a peacemaker? Am I a peacemaker? Because if the answer to that is no, if I, if I don't seek to draw other people together, if I don't seek to build bridges between people and between people and Jesus, well, then I've got real problems. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with all people. James chapter 4, verse 1, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? In other words, is it not because you've got these feelings that well up and you want to satisfy them rather than caring about someone else? And so you fight and you complain and you go to war with each other? And then there's this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. I want you to notice the way that he connects. The way that Paul, as he's guided by the Holy Spirit, the way he connects unity, the way he connects being at peace with one another with being mature. Ephesians 4, 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, here's the way to describe it, to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, what the mature do is the mature make peace. 
We're, gonna, we're seeking to attain the unity of the faith, and by doing so, we demonstrate that we are mature. So that's the question to ask yourself. Am I a peacemaker? The Lord called us to the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Am I a peacemaker? Because if I'm the one that division follows me wherever I go, if I'm the one that hostility follows me wherever I go, if I'm the one that bad attitudes and sadness follows me wherever I go, then you're immature and you need to grow. Second question to ask yourself is this, not only am I a peacemaker, but am I the kind of person when I'm dealing with other people, would others look at me and consider me to be trustworthy? Can I be trusted to keep the commitments that I make? That's what a mature person does. The immature can't be trusted. The mature can. In Titus chapter 2 at verse 7, Paul tells his charge, Timothy, the one he's seeking to help grow in maturity of the faith. Titus 2.7, he says, show yourself, Titus, in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. I'm calling you to be trustworthy in the things that you say. The Lord would, would tell this story and ends this way, Luke 16, verse 10. The one who's faithful in very little is also faithful in much. In other words, one who can be trusted in little can be trusted with much more. But the one who's dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much more. So here's the point. The mature knows that others are watching. The mature knows that others are, are keeping score, as it were. And the mature cares about their reputation. The mature, mature cares about their being known as being trustworthy. So Paul says, I came into town. I came into Corinth seeking to allow you to see, not me, but the message I shared. I needed you to trust me. I needed you to know that what I was trying to do was bring you together with the Lord. But if you couldn't trust me, why would you listen? And so he was concerned about what others would see and do because that is a sign of maturity. And the second one is this. It's, it's similar, it's sort of building upon the other. Another sign of, of being mature, and we need to look in within and ask ourselves, am I humble? Look at chapter 2, verse 3, 1 Corinthians 2, 3. I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. Now, this is a guy who not too terribly long ago in his life was so self-assured he was going from town to town, kicking in doors and dragging people to prison. This is not a timid little man. This is a powerful, self-assured kind of man. And yet he says, when I came into your presence there, I was very, very humble. I didn't come making large demands. I didn't come trying to strong arm you into anything. You go over to chapter 3, verse 7. Look at what he says. 1 Corinthians 3, 7. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. In other words, I am nothing special. His concern was not his self. His concern was not being seen as something neat or someone impressive. His concern was for Jesus to be seen as important, for Jesus to be seen as special. In James chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible says that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Matthew 23, verse 12, Jesus would say, whoever exalts himself, he'll be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So let's just make it plain. Let's make it to where we all understand each other. The Lord tells us this, and you know it from experience. Nobody enjoys being around the arrogant. And if I'm seeking to be one who is bringing people to Jesus, I'm going to be one who's humble. 
because the Lord demands it and others are ne it's necessary for others to, to listen to me and the message I have to share. So part of being mature is being able to take in things that people say, being able to handle criticism because the humble will be able to handle criticism. The humble will be able to say, you know, there may be some merit in what you've said. You know what? I'm not going to be super anxious to destroy you with what you've said. I'm not going to be anxious to retaliate. I'm going to take what you've said and, and chew on it. Listen to it for a little bit. The prideful can't handle being told they've done something wrong. The prideful can't handle having areas in their life in which they need to improve. But the humble take it in, evaluate, and seek improvement. A mature person is meek and humble like their Lord Jesus. Remember, that's what he would say of himself. Come unto me, all you here weak and, and labor, heavy labor, and I will give you uh, rest because I am meek and lowly. The next thing is this, not only looking at others, not only being humble, but the mature is going to be described as being wise. The mature know that true wisdom comes from above and comes from the Lord. Go to 1 Corinthians 3, the last paragraph there, starting at verse 18. 1 Corinthians 3, 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they're futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours. And you're Christ, and Christ is God's. The mature know that wisdom comes from above. The mature know that if the Lord has said it, it's true. I don't need to debate. I don't need to fight. I don't need to wrangle. If the Lord has said it and shared it through the Holy Word, I know that it's true. Because the path to religious knowledge works this way. If God exists and if the Bible says inspired word, then whatever it is the Bible teaches, I know that it's true. And so we open up these pages of God's word and he tells us about how to worship. He tells us how to be saved. He tells us how to live, how to treat others. I know that's what's best. I know that's what's right. Go back to chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 2. There's a long section here where he's talking about the mystery of the revelation where he's talking about what it is to the plan that God gave to man to be saved. Because I'm telling you, and you know this is true, that if God left it up to us, we would probably come up with all different sorts of things in order to how to be saved, how to be cleansed of sin. Probably wouldn't have chosen the way he chose. But he says, this is the way I'm telling you to live, and this is the truth, this is the only way. Jesus was saying in John 14, 6, I'm the way, truth, and life, indicating there's no other way. He's the absolute truth. And he is the one that gives ultimate life. The only way to the Father is through him. No one gets there any other way. And so here in 1 Corinthians 2, look at verse 6. Among the mature, we impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. See, he says, to the mature in Christ, I can share this message with you and you take it in and you love it and you live it. But to the people who seek to be wise in the world, they say that doesn't make sense, and then they perish. So we keep going. He says in verse 7, we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, 
It wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But it's written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. No one has imagined what it says here, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God, listen to this, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now here's what I want you to take note of. You want to be wise in the eyes of God and maybe be seen as foolish in the eyes of man? Or maybe just be seen as wise amongst other religious folks. This passage here is not talking about heaven. When he says in verse 9, no eye has seen what the Lord has prepared. Oftentimes I've heard people say, we can't even imagine how great heaven's going to be. See, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. It's true that we can't imagine how great heaven's going to be. The Lord sought to get our little minds to wrap around it in Revelation 21 and 22. But this passage is talking about the plan of salvation. This passage is talking about how, you know what, when men tried to come up and save themselves, when men tried to design something, they failed miserably. And the prophets going back so far, they were sharing messages about Jesus and they didn't realize it. They were trying to see and take hold of the promise. They were trying to, to get a grasp of what the prophecies were all about. And even in 1 Peter chapter 1, look at 1 Peter 1 beginning at verse 10. I'll take the time to read that with you here. 1 Peter 1, 10. Because you could read 1 Peter 1, 10 in conjunction with uh, 1 Corinthians 2. So 1 Peter 1, 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you. Listen, the gospel, the things that have been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Look at this. Things into which the angels longed to look. They were anxious to see what the mystery was all about, how it would finally be revealed and what this mission of the Christ was all about. And so we come back over to 1 Corinthians 2 and he says, that's what this is. The rulers of this age didn't understand what a terrible thing they were doing by crucifying the Christ. If they had realized that this was the Savior, they wouldn't have put Him on the cross. But they didn't realize He was the Savior. Because you see, eye hasn't seen and ears hadn't heard, the heart hadn't imagined what God had prepared for those who loved Him. The plan of salvation is incredible. You go back to Genesis 3 and Adam and Eve told, Adam particularly told, you're going to crush the head of Satan. Adam and Eve told that he's going to hurt you. He's going to bite your heel. He's going to make things hard on you. But he'll be conquered. And then Abraham told in Genesis 12, there's coming one through you that's going to bless the whole world. And we finally get to Jesus. The one who goes to the cross, dies there, is buried, raised by power of God on the third day, ascends to the right hand of the Father, and even this minute now reigns and rules, intercedes for us. This was God's plan. As Paul would write it in the book of Ephesians, from the eternal purpose, from ever and ever and ever, this was God's plan to save men in the church through Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 2, not heaven, but how we get to heaven through the plan of salvation. He says this plan of God's is incredible. Only God was wise enough to devise it. So if you want to be considered wise, you submit to his plan. We could say more about that, but I think that's probably enough for now. The wise will be discerning Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. Again, he connects wisdom and maturity 
with not being tossed about by every little idea that comes along. It's, it's the immature, it's the babies who, who listen to each new doctrine and say, well, I'll go that way, well, I'll go that way, well, I'll go that way. He says, no, the mature, listen, know, and hold on to the truth. Let's go now to being patient. A sign of maturity is patience. The immature stomps their feet and they make demands and they want instant satisfaction. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. He says, we're God's fellow workers and you are God's field or, or God's garden. He says, you're also God's building. And according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. So let each one take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus the Christ. Gardens take a while to grow. You plant the seed, and then you wait. You tend to it, you water it, maybe give it some food, but you wait. You don't expect to plant a seed and then the next minute bear fruit. James 5, 7, the Bible says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rain. Gardens take a while to go grow. Buildings take a while to be constructed. And so he says that you're going to go through times, peaks and valleys, heartaches and celebrations. And he says what you must do is endure through all of that. That's a sign of maturity. What he does is he calls us to know our role. He calls us to know there's going to be different things that different ones of us are required to do. The mature doesn't demand to be served. The mature seeks to serve. This is Jesus the Christ. Matthew 20, verse 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. In second, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. 1 Corinthians 3, 5. Read this with me. What's Apollos? What's Paul? Here's what they are. Here's who they are. Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. So Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters, they're one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we're God's fellow workers. You're God's field or, or garden. You're God's building. You see, servants look for a place to serve. The mature knows that they're a servant. And the mature anxiously is, is looking for a place where they can pick others up and build others up and they can do the things the Lord has called them to do. And so Paul says here, I'm calling you to be like me. First Corinthians 11, 1. Imitate me because I'm mature. I've grown. I've put away the childish things. And so now I seek to recognize how great it is to be a servant. And I want you to be the same. Find a place. Find something to do and be a servant and serve others the way God would call you to. That's maturity. So all of those things are about knowing ourselves. Am I the one who knows my role? Am I the one who is, seeks to be patient? Am I wise according to the will of God? Am I humble before God and man? Am I the one who seeks to be a peacemaker and is trustworthy because I care about what others are doing and thinking? Well, all of it's summarized like this. Not only do I need to know myself, but the most important thing about me, the most important thing about you, is whether or not we know God. And we're going to make it real simple here. Do I know that God is the giver of the plan of salvation? Do I know that God is the judge of the plan of salvation? Do I know that God is the giver of life? And do I know that God is the taker of life? Now real quickly, let's look at those verses. 1 Corinthians 
where he says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Here's God's plan. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. And then you and I seeing that, seeing that he died on the cross for me, shed his blood for me. And then seeing he was raised by the power of the Father from the dead. I now have to participate in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's described so powerfully in a place like uh, Romans 6, 3 to 5. It's described so vividly in Colossians 2, 12 and 13. That what you and I must do is be buried with Christ in the waters of baptism. Because it's in that place, that's the time that God chose. See, this is where it doesn't make sense to man. But that's the time where God chose to make dead people live. That's the time where God chose to, to make people who were dead in their sins, to make them alive. And so just like Jesus was buried in a grave, dead, walked out of the tomb to new life, when you and I are buried with Christ in the waters of baptism, we're raised up, made alive by the power of God, walking in a new life. And so he says here, do you know that God is the one who's the giver of the plan of salvation? Because you also need to know that God is the judge of the plan of salvation. Look at chapter 3, verse 13. We're bouncing back and forth between 1 Corinthians 2 and 3. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 13, each one's work will become manifest for the day of God will disclose it because it'll be revealed by fire. The fire will test what sort of each work one has done. If the work they've done has been built on a good foundation, it'll survive and receive a reward. If your work is burned up, you suffer loss, though he himself will be saved only through the fire. He's telling us, in this life, there's going to be trials, but at the end of this life, there's a judgment. And that he makes the decision. To some, as it says in Matthew 7, 21 and following, to some he will say, I don't know you. But as it also says in Matthew 25, 21 to 23, to others he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. He's the judge. It says in chapter 3, verse 7, Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God is the one who gives growth. God gives life. And then verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. He's the taker of life. Let that sink in. He gives the plan. He judges the plan. He gives us life both physically and spiritually. And he makes the decision about what is done next. So is the Lord looking at you today and saying to you, you got a lot of growing to do. I know it's what he's saying to me. So what we must do is make a, a commitment to doing something about it. What we've got to do is say, I'm joining with Paul and I'm joining with the Christians from Corinth and saying, I want to mature and grow and be more the man or the woman of God that he would have me to be. Let's be the mature ones who create unity rather than add strife and problems that lead to more fighting and more anger. We need to grow up and be more like Jesus. Too many of us are in a state of satisfied immaturity. Stop being satisfied. The Lord is not okay with it, and we shouldn't be either. He says to us, are you mature? How much growing do you have left to do? If there's any way we can encourage you to grow, any way we can encourage you in your walk with the Lord, won't you come while we stand and sing together?